Imagine this. Have you ever been in a situation where you've gone to someone's home and it became really uncomfortable? Really uncomfortable. Can you imagine with me that let's say that you walk up to the door and you knock on the door and no one answers. And you knock on the door and no one answers. And you're left there like going, what do we do now? And then finally someone comes and the door opens, but they don't address you. The door just opens and they turn and walk away. Does that mean, welcome, come on in? You decide to go on in. And once you get inside, you know, it's already awkward, but once you get inside, they just walk into the house. And you're kind of like going, do I follow them? You know, is there a kitchen where I find, is there a kitchen table where I should sit down and kind of wait and figure out what's going on here? Is there, where's the couch? Should I sit down there? Do I just stand here inside the door? What do I do? That kind of situation can be really, really awkward. That's kind of the exact situation that the Lord found himself in in Luke 7. Open up your Bibles to Luke 7. It wasn't necessarily a situation where the Lord was invited in and then, you know, was left hanging. But it was a situation where he was invited in and there was awkwardness because the host was not the host with the most. And so here we are in Luke 7. In in the days and times of of the Lord in in Middle Eastern countries, even still, there are certain hospitality customs that are just considered right. Hospitality is considered, a, uh, especially among Asian or Middle Eastern cultures, especially in those parts of the world, hospitality is one of the chief virtues of a man or woman or a home. In the course of, you, and, you, and if you've read through Scripture, you'll know that you've, you've seen that demonstrated. I mean, one of the st- situations that stand out in my mind that you probably have read about in Genesis Abraham, when these, these two men come by, and Abraham runs and says, come to my house, come to my house to eat. And, and that was all about hospitality. That was about being, that you, dis, you, you gave honor to others as strangers. And in Leviticus, there's passages that says, this is how you treat strangers. This is how you treat others who are not a part of your home, how you treat guests among you and stuff. You, you probably know that from your New Testament reading that there were certain customs that were standard. The cleaning of the feet of your guests, taking their sandals, greeting with a kiss, perhaps, which is very customary in Middle Eastern um, cultures even to today, and then also anointing with oil. All three of these things we find in our text today. Let's start out in in our text, Luke 7, 36. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Um, I'll start there. You guys read in your text. Whatever you're reading in will all end in 50. Now, one of the Pharisees was requesting him, that's the Lord Jesus, to dine with him. And he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now, if you want to know what that reclining at the table sounds like, that's not like just falling over a table sitting in a chair. It would look, it would look very much like this, where it was almost like a couch kind of scenario where they leaned on one arm and took their food with the other arm and their feet would be behind them. This is a drawing of someone's imagination of what, this, what we're reading about today might have looked like. And they reclined at the table, verse 37. And behold, there was a woman in the city who was a sinner. 
And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with her hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is, who is touching him and that she is a sinner. Verse 40, and Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other owned 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. Which of them, therefore, will love him more? And Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. Can you just feel like there's a little bit of tension rising in the room right about now? Simon doesn't answer like, well, absolutely. He's like going, I know that my answer is going to get awkward. Well, I mean, you know, we've all done it before, especially parents with children. I suppose, I guess this happened. What do you mean you guess this happened? It happened. He's going, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose it's the one he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since, but since, but she, since the time she came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. And for this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And he, the Lord, said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's get the picture here. We have Simon, a highly religious man who is working his way to heaven by keeping the law. We have a working woman who is breaking the law and far from heaven. And we have Jesus who is from heaven to do the work that fulfills the law. If you can imagine the indignation of the Pharisee at the boldness of this prostitute to interrupt the meal this way. Now, it wasn't uncommon for the needy to be allowed to come in and have access to the leftovers, you know, and that's, you even get a hint of that, and then you even hear the Lord speak of, like, crumbs for the dogs. He talks about that in another time when he's speaking. He speaks about crumbs for the dogs from the table, and so he's referencing where the animals or the poor or others would be able to come in and have the leftovers, and you even see that same tradition going back to the story of Ruth and Naomi, where they were to leave some of the field, uh, some of the grain, some of the crop for those who were in need. It is a custom among the people. Even here at the table, that custom extends itself. And so she steps into this situation, what's probably galling to this Pharisee. She stepped in and she has come now and all of a sudden taken the attention of the meal away from him, the host. And it is now directed on herself. 
As I consider how this is happening, I thought of Jesus' teaching and that he said the first shall be last and the last shall be first. You know, we even looked at that passage last week in Mark. And so here he is. He's at the, at the top of the table. He's at the top of the table. And he's the host. Everyone's there because he invited them there. He's somebody important. All the attention should be on him. And she steps into the room. Now here he is, a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a keeper of the law, a respected man in the community. He should be the one who is getting all the attention. And she steps in and all of a sudden, don't you know it? Every eye goes to her. But Simon is not only bothered by the woman, he's also questioning Jesus. Keep in mind that it's hard to imagine that anyone has yet to understand exactly who Jesus is. Here's a guy who shows up out of a part of the country where nothing good should come from it. And he appears on the scene with another guy who walks around in camel hair and eating locusts and honey. And they're kin, so they're both probably weird. There's something about him. But he's doing things, and he's saying things that no one else is doing and saying. So who is he? Early in the chapter, even John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, back there, the cousin of Jesus, he sends word asking Jesus, are you the one, or should we be looking for someone else? Even he is concerned, concerned and confused about who Jesus is. And so at the best, the Pharisees believe Jesus might be a prophet. But he doesn't really ever suspect more than that. You just see it there. He goes, if he was a prophet, he would know who she is. So he's doubtful even of that now. So by his standards, no righteous man would be allowing that to happen. So who is this man? Let's consider the woman. We know that she is a sinner from verse 37. It says she is a sinner. But most conclude that she was a prostitute. And how she knows Jesus, we're not sure. Perhaps, perhaps she's heard him speak because he's been roaming the countryside, going from village to village speaking. Perhaps she's heard him speak. And perhaps she's, she's come across him when he was speaking this passage in chapter 6 in the Beatitudes. And he says, do not judge and you will not be judged. And do not condemn and you will not be condemned. And pardon and you will be pardoned. And she knows she's a woman who is being judged. She knows she's a woman who has been condemned. And she's a, no, a woman she knows she'll never receive a pardon. And she hears a man talking like this. Perhaps that's what she heard. But whatever her sin and wherever she knew about Jesus, it had labeled her. It had branded her. She was known in the community, and the Pharisees know it, and she knows it, and he knows it, Pharisee. As she comes into his house, he knows it immediately, who she is and what she's done. And it weighs on her. It weighs on her. There is something about Jesus that has drawn her there and attracts her. And she's broken over it. And now here she is at his feet, wetting them with her tears, wiping them with her hair, and anointing them with expensive oil. It's at this point that I want to just pause and make this statement. If you are here today, and you feel like this woman does, 
about your past. Or maybe even about your present. You don't have to feel that way about your future. Just as Jesus had complete mercy and compassion and forgiveness on her, he offers that to anyone, anyone here today. He doesn't ask you to do anything to earn his forgiveness. You just have to know that you're far from God and because of your sin and realize Jesus is the solution. He's the answer to that problem. And to seek his forgiveness and he'll forgive you. If that's you here today, I hope that you would speak to me after the service and just explore that and ask if that's really true. I'd love to talk to you about it. The story shifts in verse 40. This woman has come in. Everything about, you know, the host had planned is now changed. And Jesus knows it. He knows the thoughts and the attitudes of Simon, so he tells a story about two debtors, two people that owed money to a moneylender. One owed 500 denarii, and a denarii was about a, a day's wages. He owed, if it was 500 denarii, he owed over a year, almost a year and a half's wages. Now, think about that. If you were this indebted person, consider what your salary is and what a year and a half of that salary is And that's what he owed. That's what he owed. A year and a half of pay is what he owed this person. Now the other guy, the other person here, he had 50 denarii he owned. That's about a month and a half's worth of wages. You see, there's a vast difference between those two amounts. But both were forgiven. The debt was wiped away. They didn't owe it at all. The debt was completely forgiven. And Jesus asks him, he says to him, which one will love him more, the the moneylender? And Simon gives the obvious answer. I think the text is really interesting in verse 44 because look at what he does here in verse 44. Jesus is about to address Simon, but what does he do? And turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, If Jesus had chosen to address Simon and look at him, if he had had taken a position where the woman is down here and he had taken and he said, Simon, this is what I have to say to you, Simon would have been looking at the Lord. But instead, Jesus draws attention to the woman. In so doing so, he draws Simon's attention to the woman as well. We're going to look at verse 44 and 46 here. And he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. He goes, you gave me no kisses, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. And and you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. And in all this, Gary Inrig has said, Jesus wasn't evaluating the Pharisees' skills a host as much as he was diagnosing his condition before God. Simon knew where this was going by now. So let me ask you this. I always pick on the people in the front rows. Let's go back to the back a little bit today. So if Mike, right there, throws a brick through the window, that $100 window, let's just say it's a $100 window. If Mike throws a brick through that $100 window, how much is it going to cost to fix that window? It's not a trick question, honest. Thank you very much, $100. If Paul Heavner here 
shoots a BB into the window, that $100 window, how much is it going to cost to fix? $100. And yet that Pharisee saw his damage as being a BB gun. He saw her damage as being smashing the window. And in his mind, there's no comparison. She smashed the window. I just shot my BB gun at it. And yet the cost to fix the problem, the cost to repair the window is the same. He goes, she is a sinner. And she is such a sinner that if he knew who she was, he wouldn't let her touch him. But I am not that way. Have we not heard a Pharisee say that before? And another time when Jesus is teaching in the Gospels, where the Pharisee says, thank God I'm not like them. Thank God I am like me. And what Simon doesn't understand in our text today is he doesn't understand that his sin is as despicable as her sin and the cost to fix it is the same. But he doesn't see it that way. He considers this hooker as a big sinner who's beyond forgiving. And we can see easily the sin of others, but we often have a hard time seeing our own. And as we look to other people to compare sin, we'll always find someone who is badder, meaner, more evil. There's always someone who's worse than us. There is always someone who's worse than us. So I'm not that bad, I don't guess. But the thing is, is that other people are not the measure. They're not the standard by which we evaluate our sin. I don't get to pick who I compare my sin to. Because, see... My sin is compared to the holiness of God, who is absolutely sinless. Who every single time a man or woman or child has ever come face to face with God's holiness, they have fallen down, they said, like Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, I believe. He said, woe is me. I am undone. He is too much. And I have seen in his glory of his holiness, I've seen how wicked I am. And every time... Someone has come face to face with his holiness. They've come face to face with their sinfulness as well. The woman had come face to face with her sinfulness. Simon was looking at the BB gun hole in a window. He was measuring his sin to hers. He had not offended anybody. She had offended God. She knew it. He didn't. She was his comparative standard. The woman had realized that her standard was God and she was found lacking. So Christ responds in verse 47 by saying, For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who forgiven little loves little. And said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We, we have to understand that our need for forgiveness to appreciate forgiveness at all. How many times 
Let's talk married people. How many times in your marriage... Go ahead, look at him some more because I'm about to give you some ammo. (laughs) How many times in their relationship has she said, you're wrong, and he says, no, I'm not. I'm not apologizing. You have... You want to talk about that? (laughs) If we don't realize that we're wrong, if we don't believe that we're wrong, we will never apologize. We will never seek forgiveness. So here's this woman who understood her need, and she understood her forgiveness she received. And for the very first time in her life, a man had made her feel clean instead of dirty. Think of that. For the very first time in her life, she had an encounter with a man that left her feeling whole, clean, forgiven, alive again. Jesus shared the story of the two debtors because it would help Simon see himself in that story. But that story isn't limited to Simon. It extends to you and I. Can you see yourself in the story? No one in this room is a Pharisee. No one in this room, his name's Simon. But if you are one who takes secret pleasure in staying within the lines when you color, you might be a Pharisee. If you're one who compares your sin to other people instead of the Holy Son of God, you might be a Pharisee. If you say to yourself, I've never done anything that bad, you're probably a Pharisee. Some of us see ourselves as the woman, ashamed and afraid of the things we've done, too fearful to even tell others about it, too ashamed to imagine that there's any way that God could ever forgive you. You just need to know that that is so wrong. And that he has come to forgive even you. But not only that, you know, one teacher said the love of Jesus, he he, he said that the love of Jesus, his forgiveness does not depend on our loveliness. He says, with Jesus, love precedes loveliness. With the world, loveliness precedes love. In other words, this is really what grace is all about. With Jesus, you get love whether you deserve it or not. You get love whether you've earned it or not. You get love because he loves you, regardless of what you're like, regardless of what you've done, regardless whether you earn it, deserve it, regardless whether anyone else sees that in you, he sees that in you, and he loves you enough to forgive you and to pay the debt for your sin. But in the world, in the world, loveliness must always precede love. Love rarely, if ever, comes without it being earned, bought, paid for. And that's what drives so many of us, to earn the love, the affection, the attention, the acceptance of others. If you are one of those people, and there are many of us in this room, if you're one of those people, you need to realize that there is someone who already accepts you, there's someone who already loves you, there's someone who already is aching, who died to be in a relationship with you. And his name is Jesus. 
You don't have to do anything to earn that love, that affection, that attention. He's already waiting to give it to you. And so all those others that you're exhausting yourself trying to impress, trying to earn attention, affection, or friendship from, can fall to the wayside. And you can rest, even as the Lord says, you can rest in his love. You can rest in that. Do you see this woman, he says? Simon the Pharisee and Jesus the Lamb of God saw her differently. Simon sees a soiled, spent woman whose sin is so vile that she pollutes even those around her. Jesus sees a worshiper. As his child, with deep love, compassion, he sees that in her. So he responds with forgiveness, anxious to hold, caress, care, and love her. And as Psalm 103 says, he has taken her sin as far from the east as from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. That's what he had done for this woman, and she had realized it and responded this way. And we are told to go and do likewise. Two thoughts to close with. That's how he sees each and every person in this room. And there are some of us who are trying to understand that he meant it for you trying to understand that he intends that love and that forgiveness to extend to even you, to all that you might have done. There are some of us in this room that have received that forgiveness and as Randy Alcorn says, has chosen to keep it to themselves. Randy Alcorn uses that illustration of being the FedEx guy who cheaps some packages in the back of the truck for himself and never delivers them. Well, some of us have received that package of forgiveness and have chosen not to forgive others and hoards it and keeps it. The only problem with that is is that forgiveness that is hoarded does not sit there and, and bloom in the life of the hoarder. It sits there and it rots in the soul of that hoarder. And forgiveness that is kept and never given only turns to bitterness and rage, and anger in the life of a Christian. Today, if you've never received that forgiveness, change that. Change that. Admit your sinfulness to God. Ask Him to forgive you. And claim the promise that He says that anyone who asks forgiveness, He is eager to give it. 1 John 1, 9. If you're a believer here today and you know that you need to forgive somebody, you need to take care of that. As much for that other person as for your own heart. Because your heart is locked up in that unforgiveness. As a matter of fact, I'd go so far as to say your heart is becoming hard and cold because of that unforgiveness. And it is a slow, steady decline to becoming a Pharisee.